Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Podcast. Just like the Premier League, we are back. And in a move that Lewis still thinks is mind-boggling, but we all know the festive fixtures are as English as tea and biscuits, strawberries and cream, and Prosecco with the girls. But he's with me, as always. Lewis, what have we got coming up on the episode this week? Well, Billy, we are back. We are back with Ronaldo and Messi, the GOAT debate. We got some news on that front, some new news, I should say. But we will also be looking at the defensive midfield position in a little departure from tradition. Um, It's not the sexiest position, is it? But for us, criminally underrated, we'll be having a look at some of the best players in that position today. And we will be rounding up the episode with a look at managers, some of them new, some of them performing, some of them underperforming. Some notable, some notable names such as Lopetegui, Jones, Thomas Frank, and of course Jurgen Klopp. But all that and more right after this. Well, you said it in the intro, Lewis. The Messi Ronaldo debate. It's rolled on for close to nearly a decade now. But with the World Cup win going to Lionel Messi and now Ronaldo officially being unveiled by Al Nasser this evening how does that debate in your mind where does it does it end do we carry on well i think uh jamie Carragher said it best one of them has basically one of them has finished their career with a world cup and one of them has finished their career with an interview so i think that is the most succinct way to put it um you know there are some rumors that apparently the ronaldo contract at Al Nasser will have um, a clause should Newcastle United qualify for the Champions League next season he will be able to move there on loan which I think isn't as far-fetched seeing as uh, the Saudis also own Newcastle now but you know there were so many interviews in which Ronaldo has said, you know, I don't see the point in moving to Qatar or uh, to the Middle East, you know, to make money, to finish off my career. There was even an interview about, you know, what he thought about Xavi moving to um, Qatar after uh, after his final season with Barca in 20, for the 2015-16 season. Um, and he was like, well, plays in the Middle East. Not relevant, is he? Um, now, is he not relevant anymore? I think in the context of today, you have to say it's not like he's completely tarnished his legacy because I, for me, he's done too much during his career to to completely, you know, tear down the statue that he's sort of erected for himself. But it's not the picture perfect ending. I, I don't know. You're the Ronaldo fanboy. How would you see it? I'm not a fanboy. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go that far, but I, I will. I will always love the man but some of the quotes from the opening like from his unveiling with Al Nasser and so the the capacity of that stadium is 25,000 which is one of the smallest he's ever going to play in front of it's not even filled all the time well it it will be now because I was about to say yeah it's Ronaldo but you could say the same thing about Lionel Messi if he'd gone to Saudi Arabia but he said, so I'd say now at this point. Well, exactly. But he said in his in his press conference, like in Europe, my work is done. I've won everything, which is fair enough. 
I mean, yeah. Lionel Messi's won everything and he's still kicking around. I think <laughs> it's just, it just goes back to that interview and interviews on Jonathan Ross and things like that as well, where they asked him about money and he was like, you think at 30, well, this was back when he was 30, he was still at Real. It was like, you think at 30 years of age, uh, if I wanted money, do you think I'd, I'd move there? It's, and then it's six weeks ago, Piers Morgan said something along the lines, I can't remember it verbatim, but it was like, oh, well, you know, if this was just a, a money decision, you'd be in Saudi Arabia. He was like, <laughs> yeah. Even, even contradicting himself, now on the Piers Morgan interview, like con- contradicting statements he's made in the most infamous interview he's ever given, just doesn't look good, does it? Because it, it's it's to the point now where you have to just say that Jamie Carragher's statement was dead on, and for me the goat debate is just over. I already said it before his move to Al Nasser went public, but now it's just. You know, it's just a bit of a laughing matter, really, because he's just he's now just making obscene amounts of money, which he's already done playing at the highest level. It's not like he was, you know, making, you know, quote unquote, only 10 to 15 mil a year. But he made insane amounts of money playing at the highest level. And now he's just making more money than, you know, what is he going to do with all of that money? He's making, you know, nine figures now. Or no, is it no? It's even ten. Sorry, it's ten it's, figures. It's a ridiculous amount of. He's making ten figures now for two years, and I'm sorry, but with all due respect, any league in the Middle East, at best, is Championship or Second Bundesliga level. At best. Well, let me break this down for you, and then let me give you a quote from the man himself. So he's earning two hundred million euros a year, which is. 16.67 million euros a month, 3.888 million euros a week, uh, half like just over half a million euros a day, 23 th- uh, half 500,000 euros a day, uh, just over 23,000 euros an hour, 386 euros a minute. He's on six and a half euros a second, six euros 50 a second. And he, what he had to say, obviously was asked about it. He was like, people don't know about the level here. This contract is unique because I am a unique player. It's normal for me. Just to put that into, into perspective, we made £6.90. An hour. Yeah, an hour at our uni jobs or at our jobs during uni, the part-time jobs we had. So, you know, he's making that a second. I mean... I don't want to repeat it, but I'm going to. Uh, what was it we were told by a lecturer at uni at that place? They work you like dogs. True that. But, you know, we're not here to talk about uh, the crap job that we both worked at uni because I'm pretty sure everyone has done one of those or most people have. You know, him talking about, yeah, the people don't know about the level here. Yeah, they do. There has been footage released or there was a, what did I say released, but there has been highlight reels which were released before the World Cup again, you know, of the Qatari national team where that one play, you know, rounds the rounds the keeper and then puts it right on the post from like two yards out. But it's it's you know, it's not even, you know, slapstick moments like that because those can still arguably happen even in Europe's top five leagues. 
but it's just everyone knows that the level of football is nowhere near what it is in Europe. And it probably won't be for some time. For him to then just make that statement is just, you know, it's such a hollow statement. Like, it's just because you're going there and, you know, you want to save face. But everyone knows that you're just going to be having fun scoring 50-odd goals in a subpar league. Well, that's that's the the biggest thing I think about. I think it's just an ego boost for a couple of years to finish his career to say, yeah, I was the the top dog still. And uh, I have found that quote from the Piers Morgan interview. Um, uh, so Piers Morgan asked him, if this was just about money, you'd be in Saudi Arabia earning the earning this king's ransom. But that's not what motivates you. You want to keep at the top. Ronaldo's response, exactly. Six Oof. weeks, six weeks later. Um, and the the image that comes to mind is the uh, the Michael Scott, well, 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 out of turntables. <laughs> Obviously, Christ. Messi's still at PSG, and there's rumor that he's verbally agreed a contract extension at PSG to stay in the Europe for for longer before presumably Miami, probably. presumably MLS and into Miami. But even the MLS has a higher standard of football, arguably than the than the Middle East does. I'm sorry. I I don't want to be disrespectful because I've I've got nothing. Well, it's, it's not I've dis- got nothing positive to say about it because it's not disrespectful if we're stating a fact. Like it's, I'm sorry. Anyone who tries to argue that the that the Middle East has a league that is on par with Europe's top five should get their head checked because it's just not it's just not the case. Well, you know, he was claiming just before we wrap up this, he was claiming in his in his press conference he had options from Brazil, from Australia, from he could have uh, gone anywhere America, else, even clubs at Portugal. But he gave his word to Al Nasser. I wonder why. I'm sorry, but at his career or at, at the stage he is in in his career, he should have just gone with you know it would have been that would have been picture perfect. The move back to Sporting take whatever they will be willing to pay him because he clearly, clearly does not need the money from the salaries we've seen him make in previous years. That's that's one of the most inexplicable things for me is just looking at the contract he's on now in Saudi Arabia. It's just, why do you need to make, make that much money? It's just way too much. But yeah, I mean, it could have been picture perfect, but I think you'll agree with me in saying go debate over. <laughs> I can't bring myself to say it. Cannot bring myself to say it. Both, really? Both exceptional, both top, 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 top tier, but I cannot bring myself to say it. And uh, as for the supposed Newcastle clause, uh, the man will be pushing 40. I don't think so. Okay, well, so so there you guys have it. Billy still loves Ronaldo so much, he cannot bring himself to say the GOAT debate is over. But Seeing as we have some more incendiary comments to make, we will move on to the Premier League. Yes, you said it there. We're moving over to the Premier League now. And two teams got new managers in. One just before the World Cup. One during the World Cup in Southampton and Wolves. Wolves were bottom of the Premier League when Julian Lopetegui took over. I mean, they're not much better. They're 19th at the moment. But Southampton... Lost their last five. Hassan Hootel's gone and Luton Town manager Nathan Jones is in. 
but they're uh, playing very different types of football. And uh, Lopetegui has got Wolves actually looking quite strong. I mean, having said that, both of them are still, you know, bottom two in the league, still behind uh, Nottingham Forest as well. But the fact of the matter is, it is still very tight. If you look at it, no team is already slipping away further from the rest than, um, you know, like in, in previous seasons, you could say, because previous seasons, I feel always there's one team who's, you know, rock bottom and already by mid mid-season everyone's like oh, okay well they're done but you know there's only or there are only five points separating 13th and 20th so there's still very much all to play for and you know like you said Lepetegui has Wolves playing very well and if you think about it the way Sevilla fans were rioting almost after he was let go it's not much of a surprise really because he he had Sevilla playing I'm not saying amazing football but it definitely didn't warrant a sacking in my opinion but Wolves you know they seem to always pull this this you know I'd say almost unknown manager I wouldn't say he's unknown because Lepetegui does have a salt a solid resume at least but they always seem to pull out a manager who no one's expecting. And then they all of a sudden start playing well and going for mid table. Cause I mean, we already saw it with Nuno. So I'd argue wolves are definitely looking on the up and up. Yeah. They're, they're looking on the up and up. They've signed uh, Matias Cunha on loan from Atletico Madrid, which very good signing in my opinion. Yeah, Very good signing. There will be a video, uh, a transfer for dummies about that coming, uh, in the next week, whenever I've recovered from flu. <laughs> but I just wanted, because obviously, I, he's a good manager. Okay, there's there's a reason you're hired by Spain. There's a reason you're hired by Real Madrid. You know, what happened aside? Because I think anyone in that situation is taking Real Madrid. And it was one of the most, you know, awful situations you probably could be going into Real Madrid because it was the first season after Ronaldo left. So you just have this massive hole to fill. And there's, it's because Ronaldo at that point in time was still more than just any player. Yeah. You know, so he's had two wins in his first three competitive matches as Wolves manager. I mean, granted, one of them was against Gillingham, but they won 2-0 and they went into the fourth round of the League Cup. Um, Sorry, in the fourth round of the FA Cup and they went into the last eight in the quarterfinals of the League Cup for the first time since 95-96. And I think the, the big one was the uh, the game against Everton where they came from a goal yeah. down. And I mean, not only they they come from a goal down, but they, in my opinion, deserved it. At the end of the day, it's, you know, you don't, obviously there's a certain amount of luck that you need, but I mean, if you look at the chances created, it wasn't a bad showing from Wolves and a definite upswing in chances created in big ones as well. Not just, you know, half chances where the shot goes about 15 yards wide. So I think the the statement to push through and win in the last possible 
minute of added time. It's just got to be such a big morale booster. And yeah, they did lose one nil to United, but you know you can lose one nil to United. And they so, didn't play. They did not play badly in that game. Like David De Gea had a couple like point blank saves to make in that game. They could easily have scored. I was about to I, say. Yeah. I think if if Lopetegui can get Matias Cunha and you know the likes of Ruben Neves, and I really like Mateus Nunez, if he can get them sort of playing on the same wavelength, which they really didn't under Bruno Large. I think they'll do quite well, especially, you know, if Raul Jimenez can find his goal scoring form again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Diego Costa, I think, is just a name. I don't yeah. think anyone really expected him to do well. And obviously, Sasha Kalajic will come back from that ACL injury. I mean, the sad thing with Kalajic, though, is that I think until we see the actual form that he can play in, it'll take till next season because you know the the acl tear just came at the worst possible time just signed and then he tears his acl so you know realistically until he's on the pitch again it'll probably be end of january start of february and that'd be early he'll take the rest of the season to you know get back into the swing of things and then he'll be able to use the um the preseason for the 23 24 season to really you know, get back into stride. So that's the one thing that Wolves kind of were just, it's just rotten luck that he had to tear his ACL that it happened to him. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you, I'd peg or I'd put more of my money on Raul Jimenez to start scoring again. Maybe the link up um, with Diego Costa starts producing more fruit than it did under a new manager you don't know. But I think we can definitely say that Wolves will not be hanging around the bottom of the table for that long if they continue the form that they're in. Well, they hope not. Uh, just a, a quick side one. Have you been tempted to uh, send Danny a congratulation message that his dad's now managing the Premier I League? Still, I still have, to, still have to do that, yeah. Because uh, we didn't... Uh, I wanted to text him right right after it happened, but I just didn't get around to it. But yeah, I mean, there's he's already posted some stuff where he's he's got Wolves, Wolves kit on and... Uh, and he's been training, you know, at the at the facility, you know, just doing some gym stuff. So that's pretty sick. Yeah, and per- perks of perks of having a having a manager in the Premier League as a dad, you know. Exactly. Uh, we'll just quickly touch on Nathan Jones because a lot of people uh, who don't watch the Premier League probably won't know who Nathan Jones is. So he I'm was, sorry, but some people who do watch, watch the, the Premier League well, don't know who Nathan Jones is. Yeah. So, so he was. He was Luton manager um, from 2016 to 2019. Um, did fine. Fair enough. Yeah, but um, would you like to remind people which league Luton are slash oh, were in? Yeah, okay. They're in the they're in the championship and the and League One and that. But he Damn. then left to go to Stoke City in uh, January of 2019. Um, only won three. Of the remaining 21 matches that season, Stoke finished 16th. Um, he was then sacked that November of 2019, so lasted less than a year because he only won two of his first 14 matches of the following season, then went back to Luton. And okay, fine, 
he won championship manager of the season last year. And now at Southampton, uh, great. They beat Lincoln 2-1 in the EFL Cup. But yeah, okay, got, I'm sorry. City in the next round. And done. <laughs> would not be surprised. You know, they're rock bottom at the moment. And, I mean, let's look at fixtures for Southampton. Like, So they've got uh, Nottingham Forest tomorrow at the time of recording. Uh, probably a loss. Uh, FA Cup and I'm saying that because that is a direct rival in it's, the it's fight. A, it's a direct rival, but that's how bad Southampton are playing at the moment, and it's not it's entirely great. Nathan Jones's fault because they've got a very young team. But I mean, yeah. Nathan Jones is a championship manager at best. I was about to say, and you know, looking at the at the next few fixtures, these are all fixtures that arguably they should be taking points from. But as you said. They are just that bad that you're even pegging Nottingham Forest to beat them. And then, you know, you've got Everton, Aston Villa, and then Brentford. Aston Villa and Brentford, both teams that will 100% be taking points off of Southampton, in my opinion. Oh, gotcha. Massively. And, you know, okay, they've got the two cup games. They've got a, a weekend, this weekend coming, it's the FA Cup third round. They've got Crystal Palace. Okay, fine. Yeah, but still, I'd even back Crystal Palace over, well, over you can, Southampton at this you time. Can, you can discount a cup run for Southampton. They'll probably lose to Man City on the Wednesday in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. So you then have to think, well, where are the points coming from? Because they've got a okay run. You know, the likes of Everton, Brentford, Leeds. But then they've got Chelsea, City, United, Spurs. And it's like the end of the season, it could just all implode. And honestly, would not keep Nathan Jones for next season. If you look at their final fixtures at the end of the season. Match day 33, Bournemouth, okay. 34, Newcastle. 35, Forest. 36, Fulham. 37, Brighton. 38, Liverpool. I mean, they could go into that game on the 28th of May against Liverpool. Relegated. And More likely than not, yeah. You know, you've got uh, Arsenal on match day 32. Oof. You know, they've, they've got a horrible run where it's Brentford, Wolves, Chelsea, Leeds, Leicester, who are going to be fighting for it. Then they've got United, Spurs, West Ham, City. It's just, there's, there's a big game or a, an unwinnable game nearly almost every week. Well, I mean, if they is, do keep playing like this, but, you know... We have to be careful not to get too far ahead of ourselves because it could just be that all of a sudden they find some form somehow or there's an upset. I think, you know, we've been doing this long enough to know that there is never no potential for an upset. But well, I think focusing on just the next few games, you know, like you've said, we're discounting points against Forest. Like we're saying that they will be getting points off of a direct rival in the fight to stay in the Premier League. I've already saying that it's just not boding well because all the other teams are better than better than Forest in my opinion. I just you know, don't got see Everton, it. I... Villa, Brentford, Wolves. Those are the next few games. That the next five games are that's a harsh fixture run if you look at it. I I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, by all means surprise me. I, I'm a I'm a sucker for a for an upset, you know I've really enjoyed Brentford beating Liverpool last night. And on the subject of that, 
Oh, beautiful segue. Look at that. Seamless segue. I think it's time to take a look at just how well Thomas Frank is doing at Brentford in the Premier League. So, yes, we did have a beautiful segue from Billy. But we will be having a look at the man, the myth, the legend, Thomas Frank and his Brentford Bees. What a season so far. To cap it all off, the game last night, 3-1 win against Liverpool. Bill, I believe it was five out of six of the top six clubs that Brentford has now beaten. Uh, not beaten, but they've taken points off of them. I think it's uh, of the supposed, you know, in brackets, big six. Yeah, you know they've uh, they beat City at the Etihad just before the World Cup. They beat United four 0 at the start of the season. They've drawn with Chelsea. They've drawn with Spurs in a game probably they should have won. That one against yes. Tottenham. Uh, obviously they've, they've beaten Liverpool. I think only Arsenal beat them three 0 at the Community Stadium. And uh, Arsenal, you know, they're seven the points clear. And little stat for you: no team with this many points has ever not won the league at this stage in the season. Sorry. If that was a little bit confusing, Arsenal right now are on 43 points and no team with 43 points after 16 matches has ever not won the league. So Gunners fans, it's looking good. It's looking good as uh Fetter's engineer had said the first time around in 2010. Oh, I get goosebumps thinking about that. It's looking good. Just you wait. Just you wait, sunshine. But but anyway, moving away from Sebastian <laughs> Vettel and F1 oh. before I start crying. Yeah. For, for a man who was brought into Brentford in 2016 to be one of the assistant managers to Dean Smith. Yeah. I, you know, he was appointed as head coach after Dean Smith left in 2018. And has just gone from strength to strength to strength. I uh, I was guilty when they first came up. And, it, you know, it's there on, you know, Spotify and whatever for people to find it. Where I, I said they probably would have second season syndrome or, you know, they, they'd suffer what Sheffield United went through. First season yeah. they come up, they play differently. No one knows how to deal with it. For Sheffield United, it was overlapping center halves in a back five it's like well not, people, they play three five two so it's not people you know. work out how to play against that the next yeah. season sheffield united straight back down again but brentford have just gone yeah up, they play three five two up. which isn't that yeah but they the three five two isn't that far off of what sheffield united did but they are you know they're seventh there's a reason there's a reason you know and, and you said it while we were looking for doing some research that it's it's nothing special that they're doing in yeah. terms of like the expected numbers or the or the the proper nerdy stats suffer stats incoming suffer stats incoming <laughs> but to be seventh in the premier league above the likes of chelsea who i know haven't had a great time but they're two points behind liverpool they're four points off of a europa league place I know games in hand and things like that, but it's a ridiculous achievement for a manager of... I mean, he was Bronby manager before he was then the assistant manager at Brentford. Exactly. And I mean, if if you look at their points record, they're right now averaging 
1.44 points per game in the Premier League. Six wins, eight draws, four losses. So it's nothing to write home about. And yet these are points being taken, you know, like we said, off of five out of the top six teams. If they can figure out how to become more consistent that they also take the points off of teams they should be beating, this team will go very, very far. And, you know, Thomas Frank, like you said, Brentby was his biggest achievement thus far. He was he had a run of uh, Denmark under 16, 17, and 19's managing jobs. And, you know, his best point average was having a 2.5 points per game average with the Denmark under 17s. But then again, he only managed eight play eight games. So that's nothing. Um, just but, a little, you know, you, little stat you, for you there. You look at their you look at their record, and it is that consistency thing because exactly. it's all you know, they 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 beat United 4-0, and then the week later they lose 3-2 to Fulham, a, yeah. a promoted side. Obviously, Fulham are flying at the moment as well. Um, but still, you know, they, they should be beating, yeah. You know, they lost five one to Newcastle again, playing really well at the moment, but you know, four nil loss to Aston Villa who at the time weren't great under Steven Gerrard. You know, they then beat Man City less than a month later. You know, draw with Tottenham. They beat West Ham 2-0. They beat Liverpool 3-1. But it's that fluctuation. They'll lose against, of, yeah, they'll lose you know, against Bournemouth next, uh, in, on the 14th then. Well, that exactly. It's that sort of thing. It would not shock anyone if they lost to Bournemouth or Leeds. And then they won against Arsenal. But, exactly. <laughs> like, but, yeah. you know, it's... But it, I, it's a fairy tale. It's it is just that fairy tale, isn't it? Because it's a you know, fairy tale way, and I don't. I presume there's a similar thing in in German football, where smaller, supposed smaller teams tend to sit off of the of the of the big cheeses, and just sort of let them have it. Yeah, you're seeing it less and less and less. But particularly the way Brentford play, is this want and this energy to essentially you know rain on their parade it's like yeah no i'm in the premier league as well i deserve to be here exactly who are you to who are you to i've said it before about teams going to old trafford at the moment they play without any respect whereas you think a few years ago maybe a decade ago a team like brentford would go to the etihad or you know, play someone the equivalent of Man City, and it would be oh well, we're only Brentford, we're a, a small club from from London. That that's the pinnacle of Premier League football. Let's you know just be happy we're here. Yeah, I think I think you could probably compare Brentford best to Union Berlin in the Bundesliga because that's also a team that just you know they go. They've gone to so many clubs now and just played, you know, with zero respect and just gone, you know what, we're here to stay. And if you think about it, it was the first time Union ever made it to the top flight in Germany when they got promoted about three years ago, or three and a half years ago it was now. So to have that sort of like cheeky style of play and just also not only get away with, with it, but do it well. 
it just is a testament to what Thomas Frank has done with that side. It's it's ridiculous what he's done, and long may it continue. I, it's one of those ones where you feel a little similar to my argument with Graham Potter and Chelsea. If yeah. he moved to a bigger club, it just wouldn't work. And obviously, there have been caveats with Chelsea and, and yeah, Graham yeah. Potter, and it's still quite new, it's still quite raw. But long term, I don't think it'll work out. But I mean, you know, we've, we've praised Thomas Frank so much. I think we have to also look at his counterpart at Liverpool yesterday. Because one of the biggest, biggest things that that surprised me was the was the post match interview where Jurgen Klopp started talking about how Liverpool had so many World Cup players and thus were tired. Uh, to which I would say, uh, bullshit, because they've had time off, and you know. Yes. I was about to say, it's not like they went right in after World Cup and were like, yeah, it's you know not what? like It's not like every player that played in the World Cup for Liverpool got off the plane yesterday morning. I was about to say, Van Dijk got kicked out with Holland in the quarterfinals. It's not like, you know, they played through to the 18th of December. If all of the Liverpool players have been playing in the final, then yes, maybe you can make that argument because then they really would have only had a week until Boxing Day. But... No, none of the Liverpool players were in that final. Well, my... Is it a favourite thing? It's more of a pet peeve more than anything. Every time Liverpool lose or something doesn't go their way, the uh, whatever German for crybaby is... We We just say me, me, me. Okay. If the, someone, uh, someone's no, no. Someone, if someone starts complaining with something, then we just go, oh, me, 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 me. Okay. Well, <laughs> well that um, <laughs> comes out and does a post-match interview. Uh, and yesterday, Jurgen Klopp said it was basically, uh, it was difficult for Liverpool to control the entirety of the game at Brentford because Brentford stretched the rules. It was what? like what? <laughs> What and does that is, even mean? Like... He, he, he is one loss away. I give it a month before he's using, ah, oh, well, the grass was too green. Yeah. Because I, it, it is just difficult, or it's it's sad to see, like, basically the downfall of arguably one of the greatest managers of all time. I'm sorry. Whatever happens at Liverpool, he's getting a statue outside Anfield. Okay. Um. I've said this before. You ask any Liverpool fan, and it would rather they would have Paisley or Shankly. Um, yeah, but still, it, it, uh, I know thirty year wait for a Premier League. I know yeah, okay, but but this is a debate for another day. The, but, uh, the oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The the thing I just wanted to to bring up because at what point do you say you know what I set this up wrong? I misjudged this, and because. There's that thing, it's a, it's in a book about Brian Clough, about, uh, yeah, about Brian Clough, the, the one that everyone can do without is a manager. The players will stay, the, the chairman and all that will stay, but the manager is the expendable one. Is it going to get to a point where he's 
okay, hero. First Premier League for 30 years, a Champions League. Uh, they came so close last year and bottled it, which was hilarious. Um, this supposed we're going to win everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say that that was that was just you with uh, Red Devils glasses on. There it? was Come exactly on. there was an aspect of Sir Alex when he left United. He had the ability to see the end of an era two years before it happened. He knew that that team was on the on the decline, <laughs> a fucking steep one. <laughs> I was about to say, but he Jesus. had he had the the ability to go. Do you know what? One or two players in a window isn't going to fix this. I'm stepping back and I'm going out on top. I think that's what uh, Yogi Löw probably should have done with the German national team as well. But... Should have quit after 2018. Well, that no, was the sorry. very latest. No, after <laughs> I was going to say, should, definitely should have quit after 2018, which also sorry. didn't happen. But 2014. 2014 probably should have been him saying, you know what, that's it. Maybe 2016. You know, 2016 was still an okay thing. But we're getting off topic. Um, yes and no. You know, because... Jurgen Klopp, I think, you have to give him time. If anything, he's been given time during his career and has definitely paid it back in full. Thinking yeah, just definitely... what he did with Liverpool at the beginning of his tenure. Yeah, but again, that team was shite. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but is, what I'm saying is... It the... is good, but what I cannot stand, and a lot of other people cannot stand, is the constant bitching and moaning at, you know, yes. oh, well, uh, get the violins out for Liverpool. We don't have that much money. We we can't have this much money. We we can't have the spending power of Manchester City. Mate, you spend hundreds of millions of pounds every fucking window. Like, they've just bought Cody Yakpo, which, okay, I'm bitter about. I was about uh, to say, that's that's got you vested. That was a transfer you were properly vested in, my friend. Like, come on. <laughs> all, all signs pointed to Old Trafford. Anyway. That's not the point. They've signed Cody Cody Gakpo, who, like Luis Diaz last January, will hit the ground running and will score them goals. But where they need to invest is not up front. I was about to say that's just I know they I know they've got injuries, but you've got Diogo Jota who's injured, uh, Luis Diaz who's injured. You spent what could be the best part of a hundred million pounds on Darwin Nunez, who could, couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo. <laughs> Uh, Darren Nunez is just, I'm so happy that Bayern stayed well away from I, him because they I were considering him, a move for the guy. I want him to do well. But I cannot help but laugh when he misses an open goal. Yeah, but I mean, it's, the, it the is, point, yeah. It's, the point being, Thiago will not be around forever. An exceptional no. player, injury prone, it seems, will not be around forever. Virgil van Dijk. Getting on in years. Getting on in years, went off injured yesterday, but wasn't fantastic. Joel Matip, okay, hands up, one of the best free transfers the Premier League's ever seen. Yeah, hundred percent. Been especially fantastic, with, especially with what he did at Schalke. He didn't. No one expected him to do what he has done at Liverpool now, or become exactly. the player he has become. But getting on in years, yeah. Uh, you know, there's always questions about Trent Alexander. I was about to say, TA is probably the biggest question mark defensively they've got. And Andy Robertson has had there's his no, injury wobbles. Yeah, but there's, exactly. And there's no backup for Andy Robertson. James Milner, practically at the moment, uh, 
with his tartan rug and slippers on. He's that old. Yeah. There are other areas for Liverpool to invest in, and they'll spend. Okay, say they spend a hundred million pounds on Jude Bellingham in the summer. That probably okay. one of the most sensible transfers they ever will make. But yes. that's the set. That's the sensible transfer. That's what needs to be done. Darwin Nunez, they couldn't get sold right now for fifty million if they tried. But there's so much aged goods that there's going yeah. to come that period where they all drop off. You can't get rid of them all in one go. You can't buy all the players. No, and it's going to be you're going to have that basically a little dip in form, and then before the before the rise, but. I think the main question we should be asking here is 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 Liverpool going to hand that I think the main question we have to be asking here though is is this going to happen with or without Jurgen Klopp because how much of a short leash will they be giving him or how much of a long oh no fuck because how much patience Will FSG have? Well, the fact they've put the club up for sale speaks volumes. It depends on one, when they get a new owner, two, if the new owner has the patience to sit around and wait for that. I mean, they could end up with, with someone like Roman Abramovich who with a snap of his fingers, <laughs> see ya. Yeah, but but my question is, do you think do you think Klopp will be long not long for Liverpool's world while FSG are still in charge? I think he'll he'll outlast FSG. There's there's no doubt about that. By by the middle of next year, they'll they'll have sold the club. I got no no qualms about that. It won't be before United sold though. That that's the well. That's not well, yeah. Okay, but that's yeah. But that's that's not saying much because it's an open secret that you or that the Glazers want to get rid of United in the first quarter of this year so precisely but uh, to answer your question he'll outlast the current owners but i think if this trend of buying one big player per window continues like you know they bought darwin nunez and yeah plugged i'm not sure what hole <laughs> it's like trying to put a round piece in a triangle shaped hole was there even a hole that they had to plug, if well, we're being honest? you know, Luis Diaz and Diogo Jota were doing a pretty good job of plugging the Sadio Mane hole. I was about to say, so... Arguably, you know, they didn't even need Darwin Nunez. Yeah, but then someone else would have got him, and that would have been the worst thing in the world. Well, obviously not, considering what he's done for the club so far. But Well, there we go. But let's move away from... Crybaby Jurgen and the fantastic Thomas Frank. And let's talk about the defensive midfield role. That's right. We're going to finish off with perhaps one of the least sexiest positions in football the defensive midfield role. Because kids grow up, they want to be a striker, they want to be a winger. Some mad lads, like uh, the big German, grow up and want to be a goalkeeper. Wait. Much uh, to quote, was it to quote Jamie Carragher? No one grows up and wants to be a Gary Neville. Yeah. yeah. Defensive midfield. 
there are some fantastic ones and one that took a lot of ums and ahs and a fair bit of criticism before it even kicked a ball for United was Casemiro because of well I presume the age the price tag and the fact he hadn't played in the Premier League which is the worst argument in the world <laughs> as we've seen with Erling Haaland I'm sorry I think it's an unspoken position but Casemiro's put in these performances for United and everyone's gone oh my god he's amazing he's fantastic why has this not happened before because you know United haven't had a proper six for years. I was going to say go go way back. Maybe maybe you can find one with uh, skulls and even him. He wasn't really a six, was he? No, Roy Keane would probably be the last genuine six. Exactly. But I I hear those and I raise you, Rodri, who is the most under the radar player. I mean, he went and played at centre back for Spain, like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the the fact that it's it was one of the least fan fairy transfers. He does he basically does the job. It's a uh a no thrills it's a dirty job basically. You have to it's he's the basically the CDM position is the player who basically is there to plug holes defensively. He's the one who will put in a leg breaker challenge when you need your team to wake up. Um or he'll 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 be the one who just basically is the last line of defense before the actual defense, so to speak. And if you've got a good six on your team, it is just, it, it just is one of the hallmarks of having an amazing midfield and by and large, an amazing championship winning team. Because if you look at, for instance, um, Real Madrid's, you know, triple three-peat whatever you want to call it champions league winning team the midfield of course and modric was backed up by casemiro and he was the one who basically allowed the other two to have the the passing uh ability and basically worry about you know controlling the game passing wise and if something happened casemiro was there to basically plug the hole put in the leg breaker challenge pull the tactical foul pull the yellow card, whatever. Exactly. And, you know, you see that Real Madrid with Casemiro was holding back, protecting and giving Kroos and Modric the ability to ping 40-yard diagonals. Exactly. You see it at City with Rodri. I mean, he's got a pass in him as well, but he allows Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan to bomb forward and influence the game. You see it at Bayern. To a lesser extent, I was about to say because with, Kimmich, with Joshua Kimmich, Kimmich is one of those ones who I think if you gave him the license to go forward, he'd love to. But he's just you know cursed with his own ability because his own ability for so long was the right back position, even though he was like, yeah, I want to be playing you know in the, in the center of the park. Um, and I'd even argue now that, you know, he's still got such a pass in him that he's almost too much like a hybrid between like he's the perfect player between course and Casemiro if that makes sense so he's not quite an eight but he's not quite a six if that makes if, if that if you catch my drift it's just like he's got such good passing and controls the game so well but his defensive capabilities are also so good that it's basically like he's a hybrid so I'd say Kimmy's to a lesser extent as you said but 
I think Casimir will probably encompasses that role the best, like to the fullest extent. Yeah, I think the, it's not really an issue at Bayern, not necessarily in the league. It probably is in Champions League, but there's no real genuine number six. I suppose you sometimes play a midfield three of essentially three eights. Yeah, yeah. When you've got Kimmich, Goretzka, uh, Goretzka and, well, Marcel Sabitzer or even Ryan Gravenberch is not a defensive midfielder. No, even though a lot of people like him to be, but it's, you know, going back to the position that it is, is just that unsexy position, but they make it look easy and they basically are the ones who are doing everything in the background so that the flash can go off, so to speak. Like, you know, all the players who, you know, are spraying these unbelievable passes and making um and then make and then the players you know obviously were getting fed these unbelievable passes they can do everything and make it look nice and win the games but the guys who are you know doing all the background work those are the center defensive mids and then you know to a lesser extent almost then the center backs if you will but the center defensive mid position is just like you said the unsexy underrated position but if you want to win games you're going to need a solid number six the unspoken heroes exactly there we go that's what we're going to call them from now on the uh they do the gritty they do the well, the unsung heroes put it that way. the unsung heroes of of most premier league teams yes most teams anywhere really i was about to say not just in the premier league but i think on that note we will end it for this week and of course, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to also check out and, of course, click that little bell to make sure you get a notification on Spotify and Google Podcasts so you know when the next episode comes out. And also have a look for some laughs at the older ones. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.